It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov. And with us today, I'm very pleased to say that we have Jen Cheney. She's a TV critic for Vulture, formerly of the Washington Post, and the author of As If, The Oral History of Clueless, an amazing movie, and now I want to read this book. Uh, we're going to be talking today about episode 202, The Awful Truth. Um, but before we get to that, um, so where were you in 1999, Jen, and, and how did Sex and the City come into your life? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about that before I came on. And actually, the first time I saw Sex in the City was in 1999 in season two, but a later episode. Uh, obviously, I'd heard people talking about it. I just did not have HBO. Uh, and I was in Canada, in Ottawa, and turned on the TV in the hotel, and Sex and the City happened to be on. So I was like, oh, great. I can actually see what the show's about. And the first episode I watched, I did not like it at all. I really didn't like it. And and in particular, I didn't like Miranda. um, because Interesting. Yeah. Uh, She, it was, I I forget which episode it was, but she's um, just meeting Steve, I think. It was probably like maybe the first episode where she's dating dating Steve. And she was just so impatient with him. And and I had no context for what I was watching at all also. Uh, So I didn't really like it. And then I finally did get HBO, and I guess it was probably even in season three that I started watching regularly and then catching back up on what I had missed, and then I loved it. Um, but my my initial, it was like a, a bad first date, and then it got better. <laughs> I mean, coming from, uh, I, I come from Toronto originally, so it's funny that the first time you saw this was in Ottawa, of all places, because right. we were actually quite slow on the uptake in Canada in terms of getting all this stuff, because there wasn't sort of a, 
as you can imagine, as was the case back then, um, HBO was a premium. It still is. But back then it was this really big deal. And uh, Canada didn't want to pay to have simulcast, like didn't want to have it at the same time. So we had all the episodes had to air here before we even got them in Canada. So it's it was a whole thing. Mm. But um, so, maybe so it was your first 2000 imp- when I saw it and it wasn't 1999, but it was very close been. in the very in close. So your first impression of Sex and the City, um, not really a positive one. But what do you think it is that pulled you back in other than the fact that obviously it was very zeitgeisty. Everybody wanted to have an opinion on it, I'm sure. But was there something that pulled you back? Was there something that made you stick with it? You know, I think just once I got to know the characters a little bit better and understood the dynamic between the four primary women, mm-hmm. um, I just, I found it really fun. I thought they were funny and and great together. And, uh, and I also just think it was really still finding its feet in the first two seasons. Like in the episode we're about to talk about, they still had people talking directly to camera, which just always feels like it came out of some other show and just barged in and then left. Um, So I I feel like really, honestly, in like season three going forward, I feel like was when the show came into its own. And so that might've had something to do with it too. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. It's actually part of why, um, so for the first episode we had, uh, we, I had, uh, Emily Nussbaum on to talk about, to talk about the premiere and to talk about sort of the show in general, obviously. And it, it, it is really, I think it's a really interesting season to talk about for that exact reason, which is it's really kind of a, a, an in-between season where you're, you're seeing this show kind of find its voice. Um, you're seeing Michael Patrick King sort of ascension within the show. Um, and, and Darren stars, and I, I don't say this, uh, in, in a negative fashion, but eventually Darren star does leave the show and it really just becomes sort of Michael Patrick King show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those vestiges that you're talking about and that we'll talk about in this particular episode um certainly made the show um a bit of a relic of its time a little bit of sort of uh this this you know i i often think about it and i don't know if you have thoughts on this but you know uh sex and city and sopranos are obviously sort of the tip of the spear for hbo in terms of really puncturing the the, the zeitgeist and the and the culture um and the reason for that i imagine is because they were so groundbreaking in terms of anti-heroes right both of them I mean, say what you will. I think I think Carrie is an antihero, um, and and I think that there's something interesting about that. But I also think that it struggled with how to make that accessible to an audience. And I think you see the the, the structural shifts in terms of getting rid of her talking to the camera, getting rid of the other people, the sort of the interviewee kind of man on the street thing that they do a little bit. And then also I would say too, just in terms of, you know, um, getting rid of these, these weird peripheral friends that she has. And we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode, because this one has, it's probably maybe the most substantive version of that in this season um, of just people that were just supposed to believe she has just a million friends that come in for one episode to underline the theme and then they're gone. It's just sort of not, is not great. But um, so, so, would you say that the show really sort of for you started to speak when you felt like sort of the, the, the Aiden big love triangle comes into play and, and, and you were actually starting to see sort of these longer meteor relationships? Do you think that's when the show becomes more interesting? I think so. And it's not just strictly because of that love triangle. I think that mm-hmm. the show also at that time it started to be not just fun, but also more substantive. Like there was some, some depth underneath it more so than in the very beginning. Um, and I mean, you know, there was a time where some people felt like it was getting too far away from the fun. And like, especially when Miranda has a kid and they're like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I, th- th- those were actually some of the things that I really loved. I yeah. loved when she was getting married. I loved my favorite episode is my motherboard myself when her mother dies, which is same. 
a sad episode, but um, just such a great and, and unexpectedly sad. Um, still had some funny parts in it. Still had, you know, Samantha worrying about not being able to have an orgasm, but um, <laughs> but but showed a different side of, of what the I think the writers were capable of and, and the actors were capable of. And the depth of the characters that we'd really grown mm-hmm. to love at that point. I mean, my mother born myself is is mid to late season four. So we've, you know, we've, we've been with these characters now for anywhere from probably 50 to 60 episodes, give or take. And that, that's, that's a significant amount of time. Um, my other question to you is sort of, you know, obviously you review a lot of current television. Do you feel like you still see the footprint of Sex and the City in television today? I mean, definitely. And that's a very... Um, Appropriate question this week since Emily in Paris just came out. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> Which is I've watched Darren five Carter of them, show. so I haven't finished the entire. Oh, you got yet. you were able to watch five and stop. Good for you. <laughs> well, I have I have a roommate, so you know we got to find time to watch them. So you know, yeah. Um, and I know everybody has very mixed reactions to it, but they but do. The, but the uh, <laughs> the one common denominator seems to be whether I like this or didn't. I just could not stop watching it. Um, so there's yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's, it's oddly addictive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so certainly there's that, but I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, this is, Emily probably said this, uh, somebody else will say it after I say it, but, um, this really ushered in a, a, a sense of permission for women to have these kinds of conversations on TV. You just, and it's, it's one of those things that you can't, for somebody who's used to that now, if you try to explain how wild it was to see women talking about these things on TV, they wouldn't be able to grasp it, but it was really just not done. So <laughs> it's, it's funny. We, we, we kind of honed in Emily and I in that first episode on what feels like an early scene in the run of the show that really kind of really just put a big spotlight on what the show was capable of. And it was back of the cab, the four of them, Charlotte talking about anal sex for the first time right. with this guy. And the and and the four of them just all distinctly having their own voice on this subject, all of them really bald and funny about it. And just it, it it's such an empowering, funny scene. Like that that is the that's the weapon this show has that it does so beautifully, which is just giving these these really interesting, complex characters um depth and 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 humor uh and being women which is which is it is insane that that is groundbreaking <laughs> i think we mm-hmm. could all agree that that shouldn't be groundbreaking right. um but in but in 98 when this premiered and 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 in the seasons that followed it was it really was i mean it was a, a shockingly bold show um, I'm going to give a, a brief synopsis real quick on this particular episode called The Awful Truth. Uh, Carrie accidentally suggests that her friend Susan Sharon – I don't know why she keeps saying Susan Sharon. and It's very strange. Like She no, says both her, her names name. all the time? Susan hyphen Sharon is her name. Oh, okay. Susan Sharon, uh, <laughs> leave her, her domineering, violent husband. Miranda builds up the courage to talk dirty in bed. Charlotte tries to replace the perfect man with the perfect dog. Samantha gets dragged into couples therapy with James and tries to avoid talking about her real problem with their sex life. The Awful Truth aired on June 13th, 1999. It was written by Darren Starr, directed by Alan Coulter. Um, so Vulture did a listing, a ranking of all of the episodes uh, of Sex and the City. So I've been pulling their little bit from that. This was a uh, 89th on oh, I think wow. a list of uh 96th episodes. Um <laughs> 
They said, uh, in what feels like a throwback to the first season's piecemeal storytelling, Carrie gets drawn into her friend, Susan Sharon's clearly abusive relationship. Miranda dates a dirty talker. Charlotte gets a dog. Samantha's in therapy. Uh, we're treading water while we, <laughs> while some more stronger second season episodes are on the way. We're speaking in the list. Um, L, also L Magazine, put it 91, <laughs> even wow. lower. Uh, said secondary characters, marriage, squabbles, dog ownership, couples therapy. This episode has to be one of the series dullest. Sure, Susan Sharon and her husband are colorful, but their storyline is tedious. The one bright moment is when Miranda finally agrees to talk dirty with her boyfriend, only to turn him off when she mentions his love of ass play. And that has to be a first for TV, I imagine. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a great episode of this show, but um, there are some really great moments, I think. Um, but I want to talk to you sort of about the the higher altitude notion that's kind of in this episode, which is this trying to make a joke out of an abusive relationship. And I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Um, it's It's trying to have its cake and eat it too, which is sort of trying to kind of be like, this is bad. But maybe it's not. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know really. How did you, what was your takeaway on it? Because it, it didn't really rub me the right way. Yeah, I agree. I, I rewatched it last night preparing for this. And uh, I, I wrote down, because there's a, a moment when Carrie sa- is, you know, narrating and in her mind trying to untangle what she's just witnessed with Susan Sharon and her husband getting into a terrible argument. And her husband is screaming because she's had the audacity to bring Carrie over and still try to be, you know, relatively quiet in what appears to be a pretty large apartment. Um, yep. So Carrie is is thinking about all that. And she says something about like, could, is it possibly foreplay? And I wrote that down with like 70 question marks. Like what? <laughs> like there's no way. I yeah. mean, yeah. It, it was clearly like this guy is abusive and she should probably yeah. be, you know, checking into a shelter or whatever. Not, yeah. not, this is a sexual thing. It's, I mean, it is, it is, it's trying to, to thread a needle um, and I don't believe it is successful in doing so, but it's trying to sort of, um, they both have a very kind of abrasive personality. And by they, I mean, Sharon, uh, Susan Sharon and her husband. Um, and th- there is sort of a, I guess, an archetype of some sort or sort of this like idea of a brash, noisy, loud New Yorker sort of thing that they're trying to sort of dance a little bit around that. Um, the problem, of course, is to your point, you have a later scene with her calling up Carrie, like in the middle of the night, whispering, literally sounding like a, a victim, a victim of mm-hmm. of abuse, um, while he lures in the background. It's 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 not funny. Like I don't I don't know I don't I don't know why they thought that this was a joke, but they did, I guess. I, I mean, know. I don't know. That scene didn't play like a joke to me necessarily. Yeah. But, you know, obviously it ties into the whole idea of like, what can, what can you say to someone without offending them? Yeah. Um, but they, I would say they don't take the issue very seriously, especially the way that they wrap up, you know, the problems that Susan Sharon and her husband are having. Um, not to spoil. They get a the dog. They, they, which, which like. They don't just get a dog. Charlotte <laughs> gives them her dog because he pooped yeah. one time in her apartment. Yeah. Like, come and he on. tore up some pillows. I know. I know. I I know. That made me so upset. <laughs> I, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's it's interesting because when, when you said that, it made me think about the fact that I, I'm of two minds on this episode. I think that the idea of telling the truth to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever the case might be 
there there is humor to be found in in a in in that idea of especially with the Samantha of it all of trying to sort of figure out how she can tell James about his shortcomings. But <laughs> but you make a good point too, which is the episode is really about having no patience. <laughs> yes. Like the episode is really about like not sticking with things and bailing when they get hard. Well, and also I would say in both the shark, I mean, I think the, um, the Miranda storyline is probably the most effective and funny of the, of the ones in this one. Um, but her boyfriend and also, um, James, uh, Samantha's boyfriend, like they just, they, they are completely, they, they can't take anything. Like the minute that she says in therapy that he has a small penis, he's just like, maybe your vagina is too big and he leaves. And that's yeah. the end of the relationship. Yeah. And, yeah, I know. And the same deal with Miranda's boyfriend. When he, she says something he doesn't like, it's like all of a sudden it's over. It's like, who are these people? Like, who are these adults? I mean, what it reminds me of is, is Seinfeld a little bit. Like, I was just thinking that. Yeah, that, you know, where Jerry or George or whoever would have just constant different relationships. And there was always like something that wasn't right. And then- they were never in the episodes anymore. It's it's interesting you say that because as you were talking, I was thinking about just the the sitcomness of it, right? Like there's this idea of um, this show fights that in the first couple seasons, right? Because it wants to have that revolving door of men because new jokes, new people, like it just it keeps things fresh. It keeps things um, self-contained to a certain degree. So I think that that's definitely a part of it, which is that the show gets better when they do deeper dives. And the way to do that is with relationships that last a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know what I mean? So even in the fact that like, I'm surprised watching this episode that James lasts as long as he does. I mean, he feels like that that should just be like a one episode joke, but they string it out to three or mm-hmm. four. Um, it's, I, I very much agree with you that the revolving door can make things feel the, can make the characters feel flippant, which I'm not entirely sure is is the goal. Right. And it, it makes me wonder. Um, it's funny. I just, I just did an interview with Darren Starr last week for Emily in Paris. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, all kinds of shows. And he said when sure. he pitched Sex in the City, he pitched it as a Mary Tyler Moore for the 90s, which in context of what you were just saying, it's sort of like, it almost feels like they took a, what would have been a broadcast sitcom, except for the fact that you can't, say all these things and have all these yep. sexual storylines. But in terms of the yep. basic structure of it, it's the same. And I think as the show went on, it was like, oh, we're, we're, at, we're an HBO show now. And it's sort of that, not that, not that it should make a, a difference, but I, I feel like it did. You feel like it, it realizes it's on HBO at some point that in the beginning it didn't. I totally agree with you. I think that there's also, I was listening to, there's a, a really great podcast called Origins, which did a, a multi-part um, deep dive oral history into Sex and the City, which I've been listening to. And um, there's a, a moment in it where Sarah Jessica Parker talks about how important it was to have Darren Starr and Michael Patrick King together at the beginning of the show. And that for her, she sees um, Darren Starr as sort of the 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 width of the show, the breadth of the show, whereas Michael Patrick King is the depth of the show. And that there's sort of, and, and, and I think that's a really apt way of looking at it because there's a part of me that feels like at a certain point, the scope of the show becomes sort of defined, right? Like you're, you're never going to step outside this, this kind of snow globe that the show exists in. And Michael Patrick King is the one who goes deeper, right? He's the one who realizes that, that it's, it, that's where the show lives now. And that's how it survives for, six seasons, quite honestly. I don't know that it, it could have done the, um, the new boyfriend each week for really more than 
a few seasons. I mean, yeah, I think I it, it, it's, 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 yeah. But, but to, to, to get back to, to this specific episode, there's a part of me that feels like, um, you know, a lot of these subplots, a lot of these B stories really do just kind of get brushed under the rug. I mean, Charlotte's storyline in the, in, in the first episode is a guy who keeps playing with his balls. She buys him a pair of underwear and then he's like, flips out in her and like bails. It's just, <laughs> it, it, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, there's a part of me that's, that says at a certain point, they get to a certain point in breaking the story. And they're like, well, the guy's got to flip out about something or she has to flip out about something so that we can get rid of them, which is kind of a bummer. Right. Um, but I, I do think that the, the truth in relationships thing is interesting because big comes into this episode as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, Basically, Carrie is struggling with whether or not she's over this guy. It's her birthday, and she sort of absentmindedly – well, he, sorry, he sends her roses for her birthday, which is – I mean, if you just broke up with somebody, you might not want to send them roses for their birthday. It might be mixed messages. Um, <laughs> but he does it, uh, and she understandably is a little bit sort of unsure as to what it means and reads into it a little bit too much and invites him to her birthday party or a birthday dinner drinks that she's having with some friends. Um, and the idea that I think they're chewing on with Carrie in this episode is whether or not she's being truthful with herself about how she feels about big. I think that's an interesting idea. I just don't know that they really explore it. What do you think? No, I I think they do in later episodes. I think this was just setting up whatever was going to come next. Um, But yeah, I I don't think they really get into that in a lot of depth. I will say that every time Big is in the show, it's just such a welcome moment. Because even though I understand why, you know, her girlfriends don't like him, he didn't treat her well. But he's just so delightful. Chris Noth is just so delightful. <laughs> he he really is. Um, he you know he he talks in this podcast that I've been listening to about how he really didn't. I don't want to say understand, but really didn't know how to lock into the character, which I find so funny, at least up front, because he was just like, "It's just not me at all." And yet now, it's basically all we can associate with <laughs> with Chris Noth. Like it's it it's it's it fits him so perfectly. Um, I mean, some some could argue that his character on The Good Wife is kind of a version of Mr. Big in a weird way. Um, so it's it's interesting how he kind of um, how at first he might have struggled with it, and yet it's it's it just it, it feels like a second skin to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and I don't really know if they talked about this on that podcast or not, but um, mm-hmm. if if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't even supposed to be a like regular character in the show. Like no. Big was supposed to be an you know another one of these guys that's just in an episode or two and gone and. Uh, they wisely decided that wasn't a good idea. Yeah, it's it, there. There is something you know. I I am very much sort of pulled in two directions about the the carry and big of it all. There there is a part of me that feels like the show kind of pulls its punch at the end when perhaps Carrie should have maybe not ended up with somebody. There's an argument to be made for that, but they are their banter and their chemistry is palpable, and it's it's hard not to sort of understand why. Um, not just the network, but why the audience essentially demanded it. Um, I, I, I do get it. He's, he's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's, it's interesting. Um... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. On the, just to, to pivot to the Charlotte storyline for a quick second. Um, this dog storyline is kind of is is it's pretty weak. It just feels like <laughs> Charlotte gets a dog, and then the dog, you know, whatever. Um, but it does lead to me thinking about the Elizabeth Taylor storyline in season six, which I quite liked, which is when she adopts a dog that um, that a dog trainer um, is getting rid of because she's not dog show worthy. Um, names her Elizabeth Taylor, uh, and and uh, you know she has puppies and all this sort of stuff. But um, what I like about this dog storyline is it kind of underlines for me the growth that Charlotte made over the course of the season, over the course of the series, of going from this person who had no patience for this dog, this yappy dog, to um, you know having Elizabeth Taylor at the end of the at the end of the series. I think it's it's a nice uh, it's a nice rounding of her character, and it's a cute dog. It's a good talk. It's a good talk. Yeah, I can't. I can't argue that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the strongest Charlotte moment in the episode is earlier in the episode when um, Miranda's talking about how she just doesn't feel comfortable talking dirty in bed, and then Charlotte's just like, "Oh, just say this and that," and everyone's like, "What are you yeah. saying?" Because that's just not her at all. And it's a yeah. sort of like little window into maybe there's another side of Charlotte York we don't know about yet. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. It does, you know. As much as I, I would actually say that of the four of them, she's the one that um, that gets dangerously close to caricature, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the fact that season three and, and a good chunk of season four is really about taking her all of her preconceived notions about what she thinks she wants in a husband with the whole Kyle McLaughlin uh, character with Trey and really kind of deconstructing her notions of her future and all of that. Um, I appreciated that. I appreciate, you know, when she doesn't want to sell her ring to bail Carrie out of her financial woes in season four, like there are things about Charlotte that they slowly but surely chip away at, mm-hmm. which I appreciated in her character. But to your point um, up front, she seems like this, like very, you know, kind of cutesy. I don't, I don't know what the, what the proper prim and proper. word is. Prim and proper. Perfect. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's great that in this scene where they're talking about, so basically Miranda's dating this guy who, um, who wants to talk dirty in bed or pre or, or likes talking dirty in bed. And Miranda, uh, somewhat surprisingly, considering that she doesn't suffer fools or, or hold her tongue on anything, um, doesn't feel comfortable talking dirty in bed. I think she says something about, I talk all the time. <laughs> sex is when right. I, I don't want the pressure of having to make conversation. Like I do that all day. <laughs> Enough. Which, which is, which is great. Um, and in this scene, we get to see how obviously Samantha has no problem with that. Carrie has her own sort of way of, of 
when the when the uh, opportunity arises, she can rise to the occasion if she has to. But you know, and then Charlotte seems to be completely fine with it, which surprises everybody at the table. Um, I liked that storyline because it feels like if this show is trying to say one thing in the first handful of seasons, it's there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like sex is sex; it's just fun. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Be yourself. Whatever that means. Let your freak flag fly. And this storyline really kind of highlights that. Would you agree? I agree. I also think it's it's the most um, sort of grounded in reality storyline. Like that to me feels like a real conversation that I can see women actually having and that struggle being a real struggle that even though it's a joke, there is an underlying subtext of like, like you said, this is something that some women really have a problem with and it's okay. Like, and it does get to really what the show's about, the heart of what the show's about. And and it and and that storyline also, you know, as uh, to 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 reach its natural conclusion, which is that Miranda then starts to really enjoy it. She starts to actually enjoy getting to the the the, the power of it, the fun of it, the the um, the role playing of it. Really, she gets enjoyment out of it. And of course, she then tips it too far, mentions something that the guy likes in bed, basically butt stuff, and it freaks him out and he doesn't want to be with her anymore. Um, Which the funny I guess, thing about that is like, yeah. they don't ever say, you know, well, that's not cool of him. It's sort of like, it's still her fault. Like, yeah, you should have known not to say that. Like, how would she have known that? Yeah. <laughs> and also, to, to, I totally agree with you. And also, it's so not the show to say that. Like, oh, right. there's certain things. You know what I mean? Like the show is very much about like you can talk about anything. Now, I guess what the elephant in the room with this storyline or at least with the conclusion of the storyline is that I guess the guy's afraid that it might make him seem gay in some way or another. And it it threatens his masculinity in some form or another. Yeah, and I, that I wasn't that's sure. Of- did, that, did that come through strongly to you? Because I, I wasn't sure. Well, it's weird because it didn't, first of all. And then they also kind of shoo it away with Stanford talking about how he doesn't like anything up his butt. Right. And then everyone starts laughing because he's gay. So you're just like, what's the messaging here? Like, I don't really know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It gets a little muddy, yeah. um, which is weird. Like, it's it's for a show that was so brash and fine with talking about the stuff as it should be to then kind of trip over itself a little bit at the end was a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure where that sort of came from. Again, it does feel like not to belabor the point, but you know, being a TV writer myself and, and, and when you're in rooms and you're, you're, you're really loving a storyline and then you're sort of like, well, we have to, how do we end this thing? There's kind of that tearing off the bandaid and just wanting to like get it over with and just get out of the storyline as much as quickly as you can. And it feels like, they did that with this storyline, but didn't really know how to end it. Like, they're just like, well, I mean, what could she say that would tip it? And I guess this was the closest they could come to something that felt satisfying. I don't know. It didn't really, it, it's weird. Yeah. It's a little weird. Um, so I, I, I want to kind of pivot now to the, to the Samantha storyline for a second here, because uh, I, I'm a little bit sort of, this was also not handled particularly well. Um, As I said earlier, I'm surprised they didn't get out of this. James has a little dick storyline way earlier than they did, but they stuck with it. Um, Which is also interesting because it does say something about Samantha's character a little bit, which is um, she kind of does stick with relationships when she gets into them longer than we expect her to. I mean, the lesbian relationship that she has in season four, which I think we can all agree was 
not great. Um, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question to you is more about the couples therapy thing, which is that it almost feels like they're kind of saying couples therapy is bullshit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you get the same feeling? Uh, yeah, I did get that feeling. And also that was not a great couples therapist. You know, I mean, <laughs> they no. had to, they had to put a button on that scene when, when, you know, after she of course like says, Hey, your dick is too small. And he leaves. And she was like, Oh, I get it. Like, Oh girl, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't think that's how therapy works. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, I, I can, I can tell you that's not how therapy works. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's, I mean, again, we have to sort of, and this is kind of a, a line I have to toe as we do this entire miniseries, which is, you know, it is a comedy and, and jokes right. are jokes. And, 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 you know, we can't take everything too seriously. We can't, um, you know, tear everything apart. Um, you know, sometimes a joke is just a joke. Uh, and, and, and that's, and that's fair in this particular moment. Um, the therapist is not only ineffectual, <laughs> um, throughout the course of their actual therapy session. Um, she then, you know, puts a button on it with a, with a, a dick joke, which is what it is. My bigger issue is more about um, in voiceover, the idea of Carrie Bradshaw saying that Samantha looking down the barrel of more therapy sessions was so horrified at the notion of that, that she, it was easier to just tell him that he had a little dick than it was to sit through another therapy session. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel great about what that says about therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I don't know if that was as much about therapy in general as it was this particular situation, having to sit sure. with this guy, not talking to him about it, whatever. Um, but back to your original point, it's just, it, it, I don't think it worked that well because like this should have just been resolved already. And it's, and the guy, I like, yeah, I don't yeah. know his, what is his personality? I don't really know other than his penis is too small. That's the, here's, that's, it's funny you say that. Cause that's one of the things that I, that I want to bring up too, which is we meet James in the finale of season one. She meets him at a bar. It's a weird storyline. She's at some like like a dinner theater sort of music club sort of situation of some sort by herself, which is also weird because Samantha doesn't really go anywhere by herself, but that's neither here nor there. And this guy comes up to her and sweeps her off her feet. She falls head over heels for this guy who seems fine, but just doesn't seem like he has all that much of a personality. And this is, again, sort of why I feel like, to your earlier point about them still figuring out the characters, finding the right lanes for them, Samantha just isn't as brash and isn't as sort of gregarious in those early seasons, in the early, certainly in the first season and in the beginning of this season, until she really finds her voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that because of that, we're watching this relationship and thinking this is beneath Samantha. Like, why is she partaking in this situation? And to your point, I, James is not a particularly interesting character. So you're just sort of like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Um, It's odd uh, is really all I could say about it. It's, 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 it doesn't, it, it doesn't really work. Um, But to, to, to sort of talk about Carrie just to, to kind of as we get to the end of the episode, because the episode essentially ends with birthday party. Big shows up to Carrie's surprise. He tells her that he's going to bring somebody. She thinks it's going to be a girl. He brings his friend Jack. Um, and she clings to that like a life preserver <laughs> in terms of this idea that he doesn't have a girl in his life. So maybe there's still hope. Um, but then Big sticks around which is weird and everyone thinks it's weird 
And I think it's weird. And the only reason he does it is because they need to go for their walk at the end of the episode. And I'm just like, <laughs> why, why are we doing this? I mean, well, what did you think? I don't know. I guess I thought he kind of wanted to stick around, like he was having a good time. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe he <laughs> sure. thought maybe he thought something might happen, but he also wasn't sure about it. Like, I don't know. Sometimes you kind of hang around too long in situations just to see where something's going to go, even if you don't have your mind made up about it yet. You know what? I, I, I fully agree with you. And I, and I, I like that take because it, it makes Big seem a little insecure, which is mm-hmm. something that I like. And I don't know if it was intentional, but I like that interpretation of it because it makes me think about myself in situations where you go to a party and um, you're not really sure. And if it's with an ex or if it's with someone that you're hoping to have a relationship with and maybe you overstay your welcome or you're just not really sure where you fit in this whole thing. And Big isn't friends with her friends and his friend is off having a contentious conversation yeah. with uh, Susan Sharon, um, which ultimately leads her to remember that she misses her husband because she realizes she doesn't want to date anymore, which is not a good reason to get back together with no. your husband, <laughs> uh, your abusive husband. <laughs> um, and that guy was abusive to her too. And she's like, oh, this guy's too abusive. I guess I should go back to my abusive Spouse. Yeah, I feel for <laughs> Susan Sharon. I think my takeaway is I feel for Susan Sharon, and someone should save her. Um, that's my. By hope. the way, she does come back in one episode. She comes back in season four uh, when Carrie's engaged to Aiden. She comes back and and happens to see them in a restaurant and and congratulates her on the engagement and starts being like, "Well, you better hurry up and book a place." And it just puts more pressure on Carrie. So we do. Even though they never interact with each other for mm-hmm. any other time, we are still led to believe that that friendship exists. <laughs> I, I, I let I. First of all, I do like that she comes back. I don't know yeah. if you're like me, but I love shows that um, that uh, acknowledge their universe, right? That continually acknowledge all those pieces and bring somebody back to be like, oh, remember such and such? Um, I also love that conversation in season four because it's when Carrie is wearing the wedding ring on an, as a necklace as opposed to on yes. her finger. And Susan Sharon's like, oh, is that what people are doing now? She's like, it's closer to my heart, which is horseshit. The whole, it, it's, a, it's a great, it's a really, it's a really great, uh, a great scene. But, but I agree with you that, um, Susan Sharon coming back is unlike any of the other, like it's very rare for this show to do that. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe they realized that they needed to let us know she was still alive and not <laughs> in some sort of weird, uh, who knows where. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a weird, it's a weird situation, but um, what did you think of uh, the final scene where Carrie and Big go for their walk after the party? Uh, you know, I thought it was a good kind of classic rom-com type of scene where you're not sure where it's going to go and then he leaves. I mean, and by the way, the person we should all feel for in this scenario is Big's driver, who just yes. has to hang around <laughs> waiting for him yes. all night. Uh, but, and just the idea, I mean, like I said before, it sets it up, you know, she, where she's wondering, is there something here? Do I still have feelings for this guy? And that's sort of the note it ends on is that ambiguous will they or won't they kind of thing that the season then takes off with from there. And, and it ends with the, obviously with the, with the, the VO of Carrie essentially saying, you know, I can't admit to myself that I'm not really over him. Um, And, and obviously that, that, that takes us through um, this whole season, which obviously, you know, uh, spoiler end of season one, big, meets another person and gets engaged. And, you know, there's a whole roller coaster that comes from that. But, um, 
So uh, at the end of each episode, I've been asking our guests um, what who your favorite character on Sex and the City is and why. So do you have an answer for that? My answer is Miranda. Ironically, since, <laughs> uh, she, since I didn't like her at all the first time I watched the show. And maybe that's mm-hmm. self-loathing because I, I recognize more of myself in her than any of the other other uh, three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I, – I like the way that she developed over the course of the series. Um, I, I I like – I mean she is always the, the 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 splash of cold water on everything, you know, yes. and the fact that it – and I feel like that just tempers any of the fantasy elements in the show, like the, the glamour and the clothes and the romance. Like she's always the one kind of pushing down on it. And I feel like it levels out the show in a really important way so that if you are a cynic about these things – you can connect to Miranda and not feel like you're being, you know, too much of a goofball for watching this show. Um, and I also just think Cynthia Nixon is phenomenal. Um, she's just a great actress. And as I mentioned before, in some of these episodes later on, where she really has to do some serious dramatic work, I think she's just wonderful. Gangbusters. So, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. So she's my favorite. She, she also, you know, um, there's something to be said for – and, 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 you know, obviously when I said favorite character, it didn't necessarily need to be of the four leads. But I do think that um, the four leads have such complementary and different delivery in terms of the way that they can deliver a joke. And Cynthia Nixon's delivery is so cutting and so dry. And that's that's my brand of comedy, I guess, which is mm-hmm. that I, I, I definitely gravitate towards, you know, a character that will say something like, you know what they say about big arms? big arms. <laughs> like, I, I think that she just, there's something about her, um, that droll kind of, uh, wit that she has that I just, I too gravitate to very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, a question for you, just macro, you know, 30,000 feet. How did you feel about how the show ended and how do you feel about the subsequent films? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hate the ending. I also didn't love the ending, uh, but it wasn't, I, I didn't have like a strong dislike of it. I agree with you that I, I feel like she should have just not been with anybody. It should have, the whole point of the show was that a woman can be on her own and doesn't need to be in a relationship. So that aspect of it, I didn't love, but um, I would have been less happy if she had stayed in Paris with Parishnikov because that just didn't <laughs> sure. feel like the right thing sure. to do. <laughs> sure. Um, and then, you know, the subsequent, the first movie I actually liked, I, I don't know how you felt about it, but it, it just, it wasn't anything, you know, earth shattering, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm really happy to see them again. It's been just enough time that I miss these characters and I really enjoyed, and it was a, you know, just a fun, funny movie. And then the second one was just horrible. It was just <laughs> awful. Yeah. The second one's a, just a, Yeah. It's really bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a similar. I just pretend that the movies don't exist. If I'm being completely, completely frank, <laughs> they're not canon. I, I'm, they're, yeah, they're not canon to me. I, I think that they're fine. Um, I, 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 you know, I think I've seen the first one maybe twice. Um, I, I would, I would argue that uh, that a, that a good movie probably doesn't hinge on the idea of someone sort of, kind of leaving someone at the altar, but not really doing it. <laughs> not really the best way to structure your film. Um, but I, but I also feel like um, the show, and by that I mean the last, I think it's the last six episodes of the show, part mm-hmm. two of season six, 
is a movie. I mean, really, it has the the scope, the breadth of it. Um, it feels like if you really essentially looked at these, it's it's a three act structure of like two episodes, two episodes, two episodes. It it feels that way, um, and it just it, it felt I found it felt very conclusive and it felt appropriate and, but but I understand, um, you know. Money talks, bullshit walks. So you can make <laughs> movies if you can make them. Um, so, you know, I get it. But um, more than anything, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on to talk about this with me, Jennifer. I really, oh, yeah, really it was so fun. It. And uh, we have lots of other television to talk about in 1999. So I hope that you'll come back and talk about something else with us in the future. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm available for movies as well. Just, you know. Oh, great. If you, if you, Fantastic. You know, whatever you need. Oh, we've got, uh, we're, we're going to be doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> We've got, we have no shortage of content for which uh, we would love to have your, your thoughts and your opinions on. So I very much appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.